Hi everyone, I'm Summer. I'm Carrie. And this is Hypoxia Podcast. Join us to talk about sex, drugs, and self-improvement. So I accidentally did something. Well, I made a video on on our TikTok account, Mm -hmm. okay, perhaps naively thinking, because most of our videos, we have had a very, very small follower count. Most of our videos get a very small number of views up until now. Um, So I made a quick update video about what's going on with me and my daughter, because I keep getting messages like, hey, checking on you, blah, 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 because, you know... I guess people care or want to know or whatever. So perhaps naively thinking that this video would go to approximately the same people that all the others have. I put this update video on there and I went to bed and I woke up with like thousands of notifications. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's been a lot. So anyways, so a lot of people have asked, they're like, can you make a playlist? No, the answer is no. We can't make a playlist. You have to have 10,000 followers to make a playlist. We don't have that. Um, but I, t- I, so I said, okay, we will make a video for the channel with the, you know, TLDR of the situation with the, with her. Um, what I am willing to disclose. I do try to keep, uh, you know, most of her, you know, the most personal information and try to, you know, only talk about how it affects me because even though she has said she is fine with me sharing any and everything as the adult i don't think it's wise yeah so i'm struggling with my shade here that (laughs) balances my lights i'm struggling with life right now y'all that's all i can say i think we all are as like a as a people you know just like all of humanity yeah Yeah. all of all of the universe and planet just uh it's all hard (laughs) Everything's hard right now. It's all very hard right now. And before we get started with the story, in the interest of full disclosure, I will say I deleted some comments because, as we all know on the internet, there are some people who are vicious. Yeah. And so there were there were some comments that I felt leaving there could potentially be harmful to people who do struggle with behavioral issues or mental illness for them to see that um, because legitimately some of them were horrifying like discussing euthan- like suggesting euthanasia uh, yes like they were awful so I apologize to anybody who read those before I saw, before I saw them okay. um, but I deleted them because they were what is wrong with people? <laughs> uh, I have no answer for that. But oh my, yeah, some of them were ho- horrifying. And like, if it were my personal account, I, you know, on some of my personal accounts, historically, I had like, would would comment, you know, why this is a bad thing. But um, yeah, my concern was because people follow the channel usually because they are struggling with things like mental health or, you know, secondarily, you know, have people in their lives who are, I was afraid leaving it could potentially have negative effects on other people reading it. So I did delete them. Yeah, I think that's fair. (laughs) 
people on the internet are brave with the things they say, like brave with the hate, brave with the bigotry. Well, you know, <sighs> I wish I could say that it's just the internet. <laughs> But I have had people, like, since all of this happened, and I am very guarded with who I tell what to. But sometimes there are things that are unavoidable, like, you know, if people saw behaviors or whatever. And people have been pretty brutal in person as well over the years. Um, People like to make suggestions on how you can parent which like I get they think that they can fix it um but then there have also been people who have suggested things like rehoming websites and when I counter with okay what is the likelihood that somebody is going to agree to what, like, like the chances of it being like a trafficking situation or an abusive situation yeah. are very high. And they literally have told me, so it gets her out of your house. She's still a person. Uh, 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 right. So then I'm concerned about this person who is commenting and their level of psychopathy because like we should have <laughs> like, honey, you need to be evaluated because what you are saying yeah. to me right now is raising some red flags about a lack of empathy because wow <laughs> like she's still a person and she is like a minor like a child like yes and in this last several months with went with the highest security like i've literally had people suggest to me because i was running out of resources um literally to have to bring her home and to keep a gun in the house and to shoot her next time she attacks me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you're suggesting I unalive my child? First of all, I don't think you understand. I'm not capable of that. Yeah. Um, Because I I have had people do horrific things to me that I didn't have an attachment to and I couldn't do that to them. How am I supposed to do that to somebody I legitimately love and care about? not something that a person that's in like a healthy state of mind like would think to do like just unaliving people just I tell you what my world has gotten very small in the last few years um just because of people sort of outing themselves and raising concerns about you know with with things like that because then I'm like okay I'm not sure you're a safe person for me or any of my children to be around so yeah my my world has gotten very small as this has progressed don't blame you that that's horrifying like it makes me wonder like what they would do like Actually, I don't want to. I don't want to know. I don't uh, no, like I, th- I tried thinking about it once, and it was mm-hmm. just like all of the implications were horrifying to me, yeah, and it made me very anxious. And I had to stop because you know I'm like, do, does that mean you think you're capable of doing that to your child? And then I had concerns about their children, and then it just it was snowballing, and I had to like back up. Yeah, like I, I, <laughs> even in all of like. 
the jobs that I've had where I've had children try to like really hurt me and like would have done like whatever it is they were going to do. It still never crossed my mind to like hurt them or like retaliate in any kind of situation. And I like, I, <laughs> I don't understand like how people's brains go there, even if it's like an adult, like, I don't know one on one of the calls, one of the officers told me, which I know y'all don't have to go there with to tell me about the rates of abuse with officers. I know, but one of them, that was his suggestion when she attacked me was he's like, was to essentially beat her ass like bad. He's like, drag her around by her leg all over the place. And be, I'm like, he was getting very graphic. I said, I am not going to do that. Like I, I want to defend myself to stop the harm to me, but that's where it ends. I am not becoming the aggressor. That's just never going to happen. And if that's your only suggestion, I don't know that there's any where anything else we can do here. Even if you were like, ever to even like consider doing it like just for like argument's sake like it wouldn't affect her <laughs> like no she doesn't have like she doesn't no. respond to like pain she doesn't have attachment like right it's not going to have that desired effect really it would just make her do it more i feel like make her angry make yeah, her escalate like, the situation yeah i don't think <laughs> Yeah, I, but I think this is what comes from a fundamental misunderstanding in the general public about psychopathy. Yeah. In, fa in fact, there's been a whole discussion on, on the clock app about that because people have been, you know, coming for me about using that term. It's outdated, it's stigmatizing, but it's the term that's used in research identifying this as a specific neurodevelopmental disorder using conduct disorder or antisocial personality disorder, the umbrella terms and categories only talk about a specific behavior pattern that can also be caused by other things. Like we need to really start to look at the fact that this is a specific disorder related to the brain structure and processing that deserves a resources directed at specifically studying and and developing treatments and we're not going to do that by pretending it's just part of these umbrella terms i think using more specific language like that like i know people don't like labels but when it comes to like um, mental health like diagnoses and like functions of the brain like it's way more helpful because you understand it more like when you say like antisocial personality disorder, like people are like, so you just don't like being around people or you just like don't like people. Like, what does that mean? Or like when you say conduct disorder, they're like, so they just like fight a lot. Like that's not. Right. It's not, not specific, specific enough. enough. Like, right. Right. <laughs> and there's a huge spectrum spectrum under antisocial personality disorder yeah. because the cause of it, whether you're born with it versus having a brain injury versus, you know, versus trauma after you had developed empathy, 
the treatment varies widely depending on that and the success of it varies widely depending on those details. And I think we're doing, I think, I think the uh, mental health community is doing a disservice by continually, continuing to bicker about the terminology instead of actually acknowledging this is something we need to look at. Like they won't even make psychopathy an actual diagnosis. Um, they argue about that every new DSM. Um, <laughs> the DSM drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I guess the, the I'm going to try to make the short for the summary of, of the timeline because Carrie has read the synopsis I made for the court and it was over 15 pages long with <laughs> as little detail as possible. So I'm gonna try not to take two hours here. Um, so I've been marginally part of her life since before she was born, okay? I was, the at that time, foster mother of her older sister. Um, they intended on removing her at birth um, and placing her with us with her sister. Um, she went to a different state to try to evade the pickup order from child welfare. She didn't know where we lived at the time. Turns out we live very close to that state. So when child welfare sent a worker, they sent our worker who then told her, hey, I'm your daughter's case uh, worker. So then she knew approximately where we lived. And uh, by the time she was discharged a couple of days later, she lived about 12 miles away and requested that the case be moved. And so anyway, all the legal things that happen happens behind the scenes there. Um, ultimately what happened, they left the baby with her and restarted the older child's foster care case. They, they had been trying to, about to terminate her rights but you can't terminate on one and leave a newborn with her. Yeah. Cause that's, doesn't make sense. Like if she's unsafe for the newborn, she's, she, you know, if, I'm sorry, if she's safe for the newborn, how do you say she's unsafe with the toddler? Um, but they did, they had in home um, services. I think it has a different name now than it did then, but anyhow, they go in, they tell, help teach parenting skills. They kind of observe and all of this. So they had all of this. So they know, that she wasn't being neglected because this is the one thing a lot of people are like, yeah, it's because of, you know, neglect as, you know, as an infant or whatever. They know she wasn't being neglected because they were there. They were making sure it was happening at the time she was living near a family member of her then partner who was also helping do, uh, as a caregiver to make sure the baby wasn't being neglected. Um, so we did have sibling visits. So we did have some contact with her. So that is how we know that she had some symptoms from birth, because even as a, an infant, she did not have the normal engaging that is developmentally appropriate. Um, there was not the normal interaction as a toddler. When we saw her, she didn't have the normal interaction, um, like the normal fear of strangers that, um, what else is there? The um, she didn't engage the same um, in a developmentally appropriate way with people. Um, she was already showing oppositional defiance of you know if my guardian tells me to do something, then I'm going to do the opposite just because they said to do it. Um, she was showing that it's I don't even think she was two yet. 
very early. She was a toddler. Um, so child welfare was aware. My understanding from what they told me at the time is they told the family. She was assessed developmentally as far as, you know, intellectually. She was hitting all the milestones. So they didn't really know what was happening, but there's not much you can do, really, um, other than suggest the family get her involved in, you know, some sort of therapy or something so that they can evaluate and try, you know, try to figure it out, which didn't happen. But eventually I adopt the, her older sister. She's put in a, what is it called? Safety plan. Mm -hmm. When um, her, her mother went to jail, she went to in a safety plan with a family member who, um, moved and then apparently child welfare was no longer supervising the um safety plan for whatever reason i don't know if they couldn't find her or what um but in any event so there was a lost contact for i guess that would be about three years then we find out she's in foster care she had been in a placement already for about six months so i didn't ask to move her because the way she settled um, at the time, I didn't know that she didn't have attachments or anything. So the the safer the safe assumption was she's probably developed some sort of attachment here. I don't want to disrupt that because you know multiple moves can harm, be harmful. So what we did was I worked with the foster parents to set up sibling visits um, because you know the data shows that kids do better when they have the sibling relationship. Um, a few months after that, uh, a few months down the road there, the foster parents decided to request that she be removed from their home. So when she came for what I was supposed to be her first overnight sibling visit, she came with all her things <laughs> and the yeah. caseworker is basically said, well, did say, you know, asked if I would take her as a kinship placement because I do have, you know, because her sister lived there or otherwise she was taking her to a shelter. You know, I was, on the spot. <laughs> right. Like, how am I supposed to say, yes, take a five year old to the shelter? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't, uh, I can't imagine. Um, even now, knowing everything that's happened, I, I, I just can't fathom myself ever saying, oh, yes, please take this preschooler to the shelter. You'd be surprised uh, how many, like, small kids end up in the shelters. Like, it's too big of a number. Like, there should be zero. <laughs> well, I mean, she prefers the shelter, actually. Um, so yeah. I guess it's not, I guess it's a resource we probably should have for kids like her. But, there used to be some, but they shut them down for yes. whatever reason. Yes, uh, because because it, it's a bad look to the public. They don't think that any of these kids should be in shelters. So, But unfortunately, it actually is, or I don't know if that's even unfortunately, it actually is a decent model for kids like her who... Um, just find a more of a family setting to be something that escalates their behavior. Um, so anyway, she moved in originally and you know, I like, I'm seeing these 
indicators of like some sort of like something's off um, with attachment, with the way she interacts with people, um, complete flat affect. Now I have, you know, we've talked before, like I have autistic family members. I have an autistic son. We're not going to go into the fact that a lot of y'all think I'm autistic and maybe I am. I don't know, but we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that a different day. Um, so like I'm accustomed to flat affect, but there was something different about hers. Like it was like when she's masking, it was, she didn't understand emotions. She couldn't identify her own emotions let alone anybody else's like she doesn't have the same emotional range that we do or intensity right mm -hmm. um which i didn't understand as, as being possible at that time let alone a characteristic that's typical of psychopathy um because i didn't understand what the hell psychopathy was really i had always been in all of my psychology and sociopathy is, you know what I mean? Sociology. Um, <laughs> classes and things, it had always been discussed as if they're the same thing and the words are used interchangeably and they're used under the umbrella term, which is very confusing and unhelpful. So I didn't understand that this is actually, you know, about the structure of her brain. Um, but I just knew something was off. So I got her into therapy. Um, the assumption was reactive attachment disorder because, you know, some of those characteristics fit that, right? And she's in foster care, like, right? There's been disruptive um, Very common changes in caregivers. Care. Right. So statistically speaking, that is a much more likely cause. But then things were happening that were like during attachment therapy, she didn't have the expected range of reactions that you would see e e either from, you know, where there's anxious attachment and there's avoidant attachment. Well, she wasn't exhibiting the expected range of reaction for either. She was just like attachment at all was a foreign concept. Um, things like that. So we're like, okay, this is a little off, but we don't know what this is. But um, the therapist, you know, helped me understand like how to parents as best we could, you know, given the behaviors that we didn't understand, you know, that we were seeing. So, which now I, I looked at and learned about what's called the decompression model, which they have used for, um, juvenile psychopaths, uh, with some success, which as it turns out, that's exactly what she was telling me to do. So good for her for being able to, <laughs> to hone in on that one, because we could have been in a whole much worse place if she hadn't helped me do that um but yeah ultimately we just we ended up scrapping the attachment therapy because she was completely like nothing like there's no indication that she has or has ever had any um capacity to attach so we're like okay we're not going to push that we're just going to you know to work around her needs which is what we've done um which is probably how we've gotten this far before this happened 
Um, but there's always been things, um, a few episodes of cruelty to animals. Um, she's never had friends because she has always bullied and abused every one of them that's tried to be her friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stealing has been a continual issue since day one. Um, like outrageous amounts of stealing, like from what you've told me. It has been an issue at every single school she's ever been. Like every single year I've had to deal, had to go deal with the school about it. And I'm like, I don't know what you want me to do, honestly. You know, and I've had that. I've tried to be really upfront with them. Like, I don't know how to fix this. You know, like the therapist has tried addressing it with her. Literally, if she has access to other people's things, she will take them. Like, I I, I don't know how... I don't know how to solve that within your classroom. Yeah, that's not like a... Because you can't oh, have eyes on her 24-7. Like. Right, and that was the problem. And, that, you know, they never could figure it out either because what do you do? Like, yeah, there's just no way to prevent 100% of her access to other people's things. So it was a continual problem. There was also other behavior problems at school. If she didn't like what the teacher told her to do, she would go lock herself in the bathroom and refuse to come out. Um, because what are you going to do? Go drag her out physically? She knew that wasn't going to happen. Um, she threw a desk at a teacher in third grade. Um, there's been a lot of things. Um, hi- you know, hypersexualized behavior um, from like day one so i don't know how far back that goes but i've seen it from age five so um yeah um we don't know i mean the assumption i we i don't have any answers before anybody asks you know about prior abuse i have no answers for that because she literally never disclosed anything and they never found any evidence of anything um but she did at one point say uh when the therapist approached it a different way and says look i know that you were exposed to this sex offender did something happen she's like yeah but she identified it as completely not traumatic like it was just a thing so we we but we don't even know if that's true because the pathological lying right so it's always like she goes back and forth and you never know what's true what's not um so like like, she probably just if it did like happen she she wouldn't have viewed it as like a like you said, she wouldn't have viewed it as, like, a trauma, so, like, she wouldn't know, like, other than, like, that, that sucks, like, or, like, this or even it does, Or even it doesn't suck, right? Like, mm-hmm. because the way they process things, it can be different. So, like, she's had these instances of, like, where she reaches out, she searches mm-hmm. out predatory adults online. She doesn't see it as her being exploited. It doesn't matter how you, how you explain yeah. it to her because she is getting what she wants out of it so if it was a situation where uh where like a groomer is like you know you do this for me and you can get this or you know i'll do this nice thing for you she likely wouldn't have processed it as trauma because it was just a currency to get what she wanted so that's all speculation of course but so we don't know if there is actually any early trauma you know because they try to do the aces scores and all of that and the reality is we don't know if there was um but i know since she's been with me at five there hasn't for the last 10 years so that but that's all i can speak to um is what i've been present for but yeah there's been a lot a lot of like you said a lot of stealing 
the last couple years, there's been thousands and thousands of dollars. You know, she likes to steal devices. She steals credit cards, steals debit cards. Money is not, has never been safe around her. Um, <laughs> and just lots of things. Um, but, you know, we were just working with that and working around that. Just, that was just kind of a reality, which seems a little surreal looking back and saying it like that, because I'm sure that sounds just bonkers it, to anyone else. Like, uh, <laughs> when I was reading that document, I was like, what the fuck? the whole time I was like this I was like I don't understand how any of y'all are like still like functioning like in a health like outside of that like not even just like uh-uh. a healthy way but like at all I would have gone <laughs> crazy like it is I mean it has had a lot it has had a lot of strain I mean you guys if you look at the videos like look at me right now and go look at videos from just like two years ago. You can see how exponentially I've aged. And literally this situation is the only, is really the entire factor in that. Like, cause everything else that's happened in my life has actually been less stressed than prior to. This has been the primary stressor on everybody. And honestly, all three of my older children have moved out much earlier than planned because to provide them a buffer from her behavior. Um, That's why I've been so adamant about trying to, you know, make sure my other kids had like a place to house, you know, a permanent housing to move into so that they could as soon as, as soon as they could, because that, that gave them, you know, they're right down the road, they're close to me and I can help them, but it gave them a buffer and a place away from her. Um, unfortunately, my poor 11-year-old, he's, she's been here since he was just turned one, I believe. So, you know, his whole life. So this is really um, complicated for him. I mean, you know, he was afraid for her to come home. He, this most recent incident was the first one that he had actually witnessed. The rest of the police involved he um, incidences. He was, you know, we were able to have like another adult take him somewhere, do something, you know, he or he wasn't there. Um, yeah. So he didn't really see the full thing. And he didn't see all of this. He did not see her, uh, you know, attacking with the weapon. Um, but he saw enough and to know that he didn't feel safe with her coming home either. Um, so now he has a lot of complicated feelings because he's sad, he misses her and he loves her and he's sad and he's confused about why would she want to hurt us? Um, because I, you know, that's hard enough for adults to wrap our heads around, but for a kid his age, it's really, really hard. Um, especially when it's like a sibling. If it was, like, a friend, like, it would still be, like, sad and hard, but, like, it's a sibling. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're complicated. Right. Plus, there's also the fear, right? Because child welfare had to do an investigation. Okay, so I guess I should see his my little ADHD happening, right? Okay, so what happened, what happened was, so <laughs> there's been multiple um, police involvement situations where she has been inpatient. Um, she was inpatient three times last year. So we're talking 
three acute facilities and two residential. Uh, wait, yeah, three acute, two residential, and then there was one that was like a one-week program at a calm center. Um, so then after the last one, we made a plan with the outpatient clinic because all of her behaviors and her desire to unalive me have all seemed to stem according to what she has disclosed from her thinking she's old enough to go move out, do whatever she wants. Um, which I'm not even sure what that is. Cause like when we tried to explore that with her, like, what is it you want to do yeah. that you're not being allowed to do? There wasn't an answer. It's just literally the, I want to know that I'm the one in charge of myself, I guess. Um, <laughs> and so it's all she's what she would say was, you know, if I'm here, you know, she believes I have the ability to find her, to look for her if she runs away. Um, I, I'm not sure I have that superpower, but you're like, I, you know, <laughs> right. But I, I get it. Like, logically, I do get it. I do a lot of work with MMIW. We have helped. Um, organized community searches to find runaway teenagers and located them. So, like, I get logically where she's coming from. Um, and so her, from what she said, if she, if I'm not alive to look for her, she would have a, basically a head start to take off. I would couldn't look for her and she would be able to go do whatever she wants, live under a bridge. I don't know. Um, because she didn't have like a fleshed out plan of what she wanted to do, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. So anyhow, we had created this plan with the outpatient clinic that, okay, fine. If, if being on your own is what you want, let's find a way to make that happen. Right. When you turn 16, you're eligible for training programs like Job Corps and then like what's called transitional services, which are um, general, generally for youth like 16 to 23, I think it is, or somewhere around about there, um, where they give them housing for a certain amount of time and help them find jobs and things like that. And then, help, you know, and they do life skills training and stuff too to make sure they can take care of each other. And then, um, to go on their own. So that was the plan we had made. You go to Job Corps, then if you, you know, either, then we'll assess it. Like if we can do, if you can self-support, we can look at emancipation. If not, we can look at transitional services. Then you can feel like you're, you know, more on your own because you're not at home, you know, here. Um, but that's the plan I thought we had. That's what we were working towards. We had accelerated her high school learning. She did three semesters instead of two this last academic year because she wanted to move on towards that sometime around the end of the school year. I don't know. In, in May, she decided she didn't, I don't know. She didn't want to do that anymore. It was, it seemed to be the catalyst seemed to be her sister graduating from Votech. She had also graduated high school early, went to Votech and she graduated and I because of her behavior she will she will set out to ruin any happy occasion that's not centered on her right 
So because of that, her, she was not invited to her sister's graduation. I messed up. I let her sign the card. It didn't occur to me that she didn't realize that her sister was graduating until that point. When I let her sign the card, I saw the change in her face. And she's like, oh, she's graduating. Right? I knew there was going to be consequences. But I hoped, you know, the hope was, well, she's not going to the ceremony. So I will take the brunt of whatever the blow up is that happens. The next day, she stayed like in her room most of the time, which was really weird because usually... Um, we tend to be outdoor people. She usually spends most of the time outside. So I thought that was odd. I didn't really know what was happening, but okay. I, you know, I would check on her. She was fine. Not going to start a fight. And so then the day after, she kept trying to bait me into a conflict by doing things like getting, baiting the dogs to fight each other, um, all sorts of things. I'm like, okay not 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 gonna escalate with her I wouldn't go I continually like wouldn't go out there I would just um talk to her like through the window or whatever like hey you know can you do this whatever trying to like um hoping it'll blow over (laughs) essentially and eventually she like created a conflict out of nothing you know i had i had her go get she had stolen my gorilla glue and i needed it for a project so i'm like i need you to go get it well i don't have it i'm not saying you have it i'm saying i can see that you used it yesterday (laughs) like i can see that you used it and so i need you to go get it from wherever you left it and just and bring it to me so i could go use it okay she stomps off she goes and gets it okay didn't say a word about the attitude about anything she comes and she slams down the table I'm like thank you and I'm gonna take it you know and I start to take it into the house so I can use it on whatever and she snaps at me this is why I self-harm okay that's out of left field what are you talking about like this what because I (laughs) need to use my glue I don't understand what what where where, where am I missing this train of thought? Um, just you, just the way you are. So my existence, I guess. But I wasn't, I'm like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to fight. Now, this should be imp- it's important to note for everybody. There's no evidence of her self-harming. The only time she has that there has been substantiation of her self-harming, it has been where she can force me to watch it. And she has acknowledged in the past that she utilizes that as a way to try to hurt or upset me um, because I can remove her ability to harm other people, but it's not like I can take her body away from her. Right. And she knows it is hurtful and upsetting to me to see my children hurt. Um, So, right. Like you would think it would upset most parents, right. It should. Um, So in any event, I went in the house because I'm like, maybe if I keep, not taking this bait, this will die down. So she goes into her room and she starts punching the wall over and over and over again. Okay, because she knows I'm going to have to step in at some point because she's going to hurt herself and then we've got a whole issue. So I go and I, and I tell her, you know, you need to stop. 
because you're gonna you're gonna actually cause damage to yourself. Yeah. Um. And so she's so, but when I went to tell her, I stayed at the door of her room, which by the way, she had previously been trying to get me to go into her room and her come in behind me, which is not something that will ever, ever happen. I don't let people behind me. I have trauma that that's just not a thing that ever happens. And that made her mad. Um, so this was, I guess that was first attempt to get me in there and then that didn't work. So then this is the second one. So I didn't get close to her. So then she picks up a, a long thumbtack um, that she'd taken out of a wall like that we use them to keep those mosquito nets over the door mm-hmm. uh, to try to keep the bugs out. So then she's holding her arm out, like scratching it like this. I watch and I'm like, and then of course it starts bleeding. And so then I go to take the, the tack away, right? Because I'm like, predictable I realize I probably should have done what the therapist a long time ago told me to do and just walk away and let her do it but I can't do that like I'm not capable of doing that I guess so I went to take it away from her and when I did she lets go and she grabs a knife out from under the blankets and she proceeds to attack me it became a whole thing so then there's like you know so I'm holding her wrist um and calling 911 with the other hands and it, it was a whole thing Um, so ultimately she couldn't, when she couldn't, I guess I didn't ever come close enough to her like she had hoped, right? So when she pulled it out, I was further away from her than expected, I guess. So she wasn't able to actually cut me or stab or whatever. Um, and she tried to kick my bad knee and I was able to react with that. I guess she thinks I'm... I guess because I have mobility issues, she expected me to not be able to react or defend as well as I did um, to keep her from hurting me. So anyways, do all this. The police come. Um, She had, um, she knows they'll EOD her. She threatens to harm herself. Um, So she did repeat that to them. Um, And the reason I say that is because there are, there are people who will refuse to repeat their threats when law enforcement is there because they know you will, they will get EOD and they don't want to. So, right. So, I mean, that's actually a tactic some people use in order to provide themselves the opportunity to complete, um, because they, (laughs) because if you don't, you know, if you don't meet the criteria, they won't EOD or they won't transport you to the hospital or anything like that. Um, but she wanted to um, be transported to the hospital, so she was, and then she was ultimately EOD'd, and she went to acute, and then she went, stepped down into residential. But she has been consistent um, through the entire month in residential that if she was to come home, that she would continue to try to harm me and um, possibly other family members um, because her ultimate goal is to on her own she has stated she wants to go get into a foster home because then she can blow placement anytime they start telling you no right because you always have the honeymoon period where everything's going great and they're giving you all kinds of stuff and then when they start cracking down on discipline and they're like no that's not gonna happen no 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 then she can blow placement this is um, and this is something this is not something she just said one time this is something she has said many times over the years she has said i wish i hadn't agreed to adoption 
because if I had stayed in foster care, I could do that. Like keep flipping through placements. Um, and then when she, and then when she gets old enough, which she usually estimates at about 16, um, her plan is to run away because she knows that, you know, so many kids go, um, missing from foster care and aren't found. So that's ultimately her plan. Um, unless it changes, that's been her stated plan for a very long time. Um, but so what happens is if she's threatening our safety is I can't bring her home because if I bring her home, not then, not only does she have the opportunity to follow through with those threats as mandatory reporters, they then they have to make child welfare referral for me and have my other child removed because it's a threat to him. He's, it's an unsafe environment for him. Um, during the month that they had her in residential, I called, I talked to every residential treatment facility in the state of Oklahoma, several outside, a bunch of voluntary programs. There were a few that were ready to take her, um, but they're voluntary. So she said, no, can't take her. Um, so I talked group homes. I had tried um, a couple of the boarding schools um, run by the nations uh, last year, and she had been denied admission to ours um, based on her being a safety threat to other students. So basically all resources that are available to me privately, except for the private pay ones that are like $200,000 a year or whatever, you know, I'm not independently wealthy. Those aren't an option. Um, so all of the resources available to me were exhausted. Um, because I was actually told to do to put her back in state custody last year by clinicians. It's been over a year that I've been fighting this and trying to find resources. Um, and just, you know, adding extra security at the house and trying to find everything, hoping we could, you know, limp this along until she was old enough <laughs> to um, go into transitional services or something. Um, but ultimately, we ended up at a point where Medicaid said they wouldn't pay for her stay anymore, um, even though she was continually stating she was a threat to others. Um, and so we kind of were at a, a point, we ran out the clock. There was no, like I had her, I still had her a, and there's still a referral for her at um, Pivot, which is a transitional service that will take 15 year olds, the only one in the state but they still, they hadn't had any openings come up, up yet. And I couldn't find any like emergency um, housing or anything um, to fill that gap of time. Like there was just nothing left. And so then it's at a point where she can come home and I can lose both kids or I can refuse to bring her home, have the state take custody. And then she has access to the pool of resources that set aside for kids in custody, yeah. specifically for kids in custody. Right. Um, and I talked to everybody. Apparently I'm just really fucking stubborn, I guess, because I, like I said, they've been telling me to do this for a year and I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. There has to be another way. Um, but yeah, I've talked to clinicians. I've talked to doctors. I've talked to judges and prosecutors and, juvenile services for both the state and my nation and everybody's like yep you've done everything there's literally nothing left yeah 
so finally when it came down to it i let i told them okay i am finally satisfied that every option has been exhausted i'm going to have to refuse to pick her up so we did that um dhs child welfare did come did an investigation of my home found no safety risks so um they didn't remove my other children um but they did take custody of her. I went and appeared. Um, I had to testify in court and all of that. Um, the prosecutor was satisfied that I had tried everything. He actually made it clear in his filing that she is a threat, as she is a danger to the family, and that I had exhausted everything um, possible and that this was the only way to get her the resources that she needs. Um, so I really appreciated that. And the court did um, place her back into state custody. Um, the judge actually, uh, she had never been involved. This case, this adoption was done in another part of the state, but she had been involved in the, the foster case of the older sister. She was the prosecutor on that case. So that was her introduction to the family. But as I said, during that ca- that situation, their mother moved down here in order to, um, you know, get the um, case transferred and be closer to the kids. Yeah. So because the, they relocated, then she, as judge, um, saw mother, grandmother, and uncles all in front of her bench for everything from criminal to child welfare issues. So she was quite familiar with them. So she recognized the consistencies in behavior with the rest of the family. So um, she actually offered to deviate from normal um, procedures uh, and go ahead and terminate my rights, my parental rights at that time, um, basically, because that makes things more efficient for the state to be able to get her care. Because what happens is if you're, when a child's in foster care, things like medical decisions and things, the, the the parents still get consulted and get to sign off on and it can create delays. So this is a way, this was a way to make sure they didn't have those delays and they can place her where she needs to be. I still participated in the um, planning session and what have you for her care. Um, It's just legally this this expedites that process and also helps keep it from dragging out and potentially, um, potentially costing my job because I do work in social services. and that's a concern. Like, uh, it, there's some talk of that in the TikTok thread in the comments about, uh, you know, people can lose their careers um, because you do get a substantiated child welfare record by doing this. Uh, there will always be a substantiated case for neglect of a child on record for me now. Um, they have done a police referral. Hopefully, it won't go anywhere because I was able to prove to the court that I had tried everything. Um, but it does come with the potential of criminal charges in Oklahoma, at least. Um, so yeah, super fun time. Great. So it's hard. 
<laughs> yeah, it's hard and it's sad and I'm terrified for what her future holds. Um, but I mean, that was the case, whether she was still in my house or not. Like, I understand she doesn't, she doesn't have normal fuel responses. So she doesn't recognize danger that can lead to all sorts of, you know, awful things happening to them because they don't see the risk that they're taking. Um, so yeah, I'm terrified for her future, but at least for the time being, it gives us a little bit of safety and yeah, hopefully with her being far away, maybe she won't want know. to like come back. Maybe. And, and I, I mean, capitalism is like a really is a system that can really be used to the benefit of, of psychopaths. Like they yeah. can become very, very successful. And so, you know, we've tried to like, help her understand like how she can uh, direct, you know, the way she processes things to something that will benefit her more and, and, you know, away from hurting people. Hopefully eventually she'll get back there. I don't know. You know, I know statistically it doesn't look great. Um, but, you know, right now she's determined that what's her name, Anna, what was her name? Delvey, Delvaney, whatever. Yeah. You know, she she watched that um, and she found it so inspirational. She believes she can scam herself in, her way into a life of luxury because she believes she is smarter than Anna, so she will not get caught and will not go to jail. So, oh. good luck. Yeah, I don't think... I Is... Okay, so brain development, like, our brains aren't like fully formed until we're like 25 mid 20s yeah that's when it's done done like after that it's all decline <laughs> yeah i yeah i feel the decline already uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. i wonder like what her brain development will be like as she gets older I don't know. And and that's the question, right? Like, I think a lot of this, and that's what I keep trying to get people to understand is a lot of this is rooted in normal age appropriate development, right? Like it's every 15 year old thinks they can go adults, right? Right. And then, but then you couple that with a lack of attachment or empathy, it can take a very like, because hyperlogically what she says, you know, what she thinks makes sense. Um, so hopefully, you know, she's on target essentially developmentally, right? So maybe as her brain matures, she'll be more inclined to be like, okay, I get more benefit working with people than, you know, beating them into submission, so yeah. to speak. Um, hopefully the hopefully. develops like after like being in situations and having to like experience life like away from you maybe like the critical thinking like you said of like if i work with people they will do more for me and hopefully i, I mean we we had we had buy-in with that concept for years um it's just been in the last um six months that she's been saying things like you know people with empathy, you're just limited, and I don't want to be limited like that, and and not. So it's only been the last six months. Although, like I said, statistically, um, 
there was one uh, account that commented on that and and actually gave the numbers and it, it doesn't look great <laughs> they said uh, honestly with her age um she's more likely than not to get worse than better but you know actually i think what they said was the odds of her um going back to that idea of you know doing things in a more positive way is is like getting struck twice by lightning in the same day <laughs> so we're, we're just gonna hope for a miracle to make myself feel better i guess i don't know but i you know i'm i still am advocating for her and trying to do the best i can but um Unfortunately, you know, what I want everyone to understand is that there needs to be better systems. Like I've been talking to families who are struggling with this all over the world and nobody has a good model or a good system to keep families safe and provide resources and services um, while they're in their home. And so a lot of times it does come down to this. And I know there are people who have made the comments that I gave up on her and whatever. Um, which it's I not think giving is, up when you've tried everything. Like. Right. And, and I think that's really harmful, a harmful thing to say for other people who are going through this. Like, I don't really take it personally because I know, because I've had a lot of fucking therapy. And so I can <laughs> not internalize all of this anymore, but I think there's a lot of people who are in vulnerable places that that can be really harmful to. Like making oh. sure she is in a safe place where she can get access whatever resources are left is not is the opposite of giving up on her it's it's trying to you know i could have kicked her out into the world and made her live on the street which a lot of families do for various reasons that's giving up on her you know i'm trying to make sure she has access and also preventing her from committing a crime that right that would have permanent consequences like and you know, also keeping us all safe. Like this was the simply the only option left that protects everybody. And not everybody has access to like the same kinds of resources that you would have access to. Like knowing how the legal system works and knowing like how child welfare works. Like generally, yes. like a lot of people don't have that knowledge and don't know how to look for it. So like, yes, I I cannot imagine. Like. I cannot imagine how awful this entire process would have been if I didn't have, if I hadn't spent all these years in social work and, you know, so I have connections to call and say, hey, how does this work? What does, you know, what does this look like? Or if I didn't have the training to read and understand the law and policy, because like there is no, you know, <laughs> place to go to get the information in a way that makes sense if you haven't been trained in how in legalese like it just isn't there yeah and i i can't imagine and i my heart breaks for families that are dealing with this all the time because you know like i said i've been networking with these families and i hear their stories and i'm just like oh it's it's horrific and the uh, yeah I, I'm thankful for the resources that we have had, um, but they're simply not accessible to everybody. Yeah, and it should be. It should be. There should be, like, 
way more like available, but the mental health care system in the United States is shitty at best. <laughs> like, yes. And I think there's a, I think particularly when we're talking about psychopathy, there is a lack of public will to acknowledge, first of all, its existence. There seems to be a a huge amount of resistance to believing that people can be born with psychopathy. And I think a lot of that is rooted in fear because um, if they're born that way, then, you know, it's an inevitability. We can't fix it. Right. We can't fix it. Um, and I think it scares people. And so it's a lot easier to dismiss it and say, we're not going to talk about it, or we're just going to pretend that it's the same as this or that, or, you know, we're going to blame the parents as if, as if the blame fixes anything, right? Like, even if it was something that they did, well, that doesn't change the fact that we need a system to help provide resources and, um, and research, um, there there is research currently that that has been happening with you know with things like um, oxytocin therapy that seems to be showing promising results, um, but there's not enough. There's there's nowhere near enough resources going into um, this into research, and and there needs to be, and that's part of why I've been as forthcoming as I have been. Uh, on talking about this because it's a huge, I mean, this is a public health matter that we really need to, and I was actually discussing yesterday with someone that I know that works on the federal level with, uh, in policy, and like, this is something we need to, we need to do, but we can't even get, we can't even get a universal health care in this country, I don't know what the hell we're going to be able to do. Yeah. That, that seems like a, a first step, you know, like giving people health care and then having mental health care be a part of that. Like, that seems yeah, like a why? Step. <laughs> right. Which this is a whole other show that we could turn that into. Yeah. But why is mental health care, vision and dental separated out like it's from health care coverage? Like, it's health. Like, why does health need yeah. to be split into different things? Like, it's your whole person. Like, I don't... Each one in our inner effects. That's the word I'm looking for. Each <laughs> one affects the other. Sorry, guys. Like, my my brain has only been fun- firing on one cylinder lately. This has been a whole lot. I almost cried over nothing this morning. Like, my son was saying something and we were having a conversation and then suddenly he's like wait what he didn't know what I was talking about I didn't know what he was talking about I don't know we were having two different conversations thinking we were talking about the same thing and I finally I'm just like I don't know what's going on and I start (laughs) crying and he comes and hugs me he's like I don't even know what we're talking about (laughs) (laughs) but that's where we are (laughs) don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel and to be sure you never miss an upload make sure you turn your notifications on And please come join us on social media so we can continue these conversations in between episodes. You'll find us at Hypoxia Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok.